and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you for joining me, your host, Liam Edwards, for the 82nd episode of the show, and to once again cast another games industry member out into the ocean as they head towards their destined, deserted place, a place with which they can only take eight games with them to play for the rest of their days. And joining me this week to take the spot of deserted games industry member is an indie game developer who has been working on their own games for well over a decade. The first time I came across my guest today was thanks to a GDC talk, which they did, in which they gave an incredibly inspiring presentation about how to keep at it even after 11 years of, and I quote, no hits. That GDC talk is now one of the most watched videos on the channel, and I'm sure has gone on to help and inspire many of my guests' indie dev colleagues, including myself. But it is safe to say now that I think my guest may have finally found their success and hit with a game they released at the end of last year. Before all that though, my guest today was working as an IT consultant creating software systems including accounting software and stock control programs for bookshops. But in 2004 he left all that behind to follow his dreams of making his own video games and formed his own studio, Grey Alien Games. The studio where he operates, produces, designs and programs his own titles. Now, after 13 plus years of working in the industry, dipping between industry work and his own studio, and having shipped over 11 different video games including Regency Solitaire, Spooky Bonus, and their latest game, Shadowhand. Speaking of Shadowhand, it's a strategic RPG card game that's set in the 18th century England. It blends a bit of traditional solitaire with turn-based combat. My guest released it in December of last year to rave reviews from both players and critics alike, and it sits pretty on Steam with a very positive rating, even receiving Eurogamer's coveted recommended stamp. With Shadowhand, I think it's safe to say that my guest may have finally found the hit that they kept going for. It'll be interesting to see if they agree with me on that matter. But it is with great pleasure that my guest for today is the developer of Shadowhand and studio head of Grey Alien Games, and also the co-founder of Full Indie, the wonderful Mr. Jake Burkett. Hello, Jake. Hello, Liam. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for turning up today. How is uh, good old sunny England, my home? I miss it so dearly. Well, you know what? It was pretty sunny yesterday. Blue skies, uh, so warm. I even sort of sat in the garden for a while, which I'm able to do because <laughs> I work at home. So that was good. Um, yes. T- today it's a bit cloudy, but I'm hopeful for some sun later. Oh, man. I'm hoping that it gets colder and then it comes to Japan's way because... It's getting into September, but it's still like 30 plus degrees here. And it's as a man with English blood, it's killing me. That's pretty hot. It was 20 here. So much more reasonable. Yes, absolutely more reasonable. But Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, So Jake, why don't we jump straight into it? And I mean, as I said in the introduction, it's been 13 plus years of you working in the industry now Mm -hmm. with, you know, Shadowhand releasing last year. How's it all been going? Uh, well, you know, it's been ups and downs as per that GDC talk, which you kindly mentioned. I mean, yes. When I first went indie, I was uh, a bit naive and I thought, you know, I could make some games and they would make some money and it'd all be fine. But actually, it took about 18 months before I really made any money. Um, and that was a very tough period, shall we say, with not much money and, uh, and so on. Um, and I could have given in, but I kept going. And then gradually I got better at making games and, and they all sort of did okay within their market. But none of them were hits as per my my talk. But still, you know, yeah. <laughs> still through ups and downs, I kept going. And, I, you know, I managed to make 11 games and I'm working on the, the 12th one now. 
Yes, so we uh, sort of postponed organizing this because you were doing some prototyping in the past couple of weeks, correct? Yep, that's that's correct. Awesome. Yeah, I'm still sort of in the thick of that, to be honest, but I just needed to get a good start on, on that without any distractions. And believe it or not, thinking about eight games uh, for the show was sort of a certain amount of mental power I couldn't devote, but I have done that, <laughs> so I've got a good list. I'm glad to hear that choosing the eight games was a taxing experience. That's the kind of devotion to the cause that I that I like so much. Unfortunately, though, it does mean that you have to be deserted on a on a, an island, mm. stranded only with eight games. That kind of is the downside. But you know, we have eight wonderful games that you've chosen to talk about. Um, before we move on to that, though, uh, well, actually, we could move on to that because the first game on your list is what. Is kind of to do with the topic I wanted to talk about next anyway. Sure. So I think we could just jump straight into the eight games and uh, let's talk about the first game. So let's listen to some music from the first game on your list, Jake. I think it's music you might know very well. Mm -hmm. um, you might have had something to do with it. Uh, so let's listen to some music from the first game and jump straight into Jake's final games. So jumping in to Jake's final games and the eight games that he's chosen to take with him to the deserted place today, um, this is an intriguing choice that you've chosen first, Jake. Um, you put down deck of cards initially. Yeah. So let me tell you the reason, sort of behind my whole whole list, and I'll, I'll um, basically, okay. Basically, the idea was if I was stuck on a deserted island and it was forever. I would need to have replayable games, okay? So um, yes. rather than some kind of story-based game that might be brilliant, you know, that I could play for several weeks or a month. I mean, if I thought I was going to be rescued in a few months, I'd have made a very different list. That ain't happening. Right. That's not going to happen. So I've done the right <laughs> thing. So I've made a sort of, you know, okay, these are the games I could play forever sort of thing. And obviously, you know, a, a deck of cards isn't a video game, but it's a sort of... Um, you know, tool that you could make many games with. Um, but I thought I'd, I mean, I like playing solitaire because I've made several solitaire video games. And then I thought, well, actually, you know, um, if I'm not allowed to take a physical game on the island, then I'll bring along Shadowhand, which is my own game. And that's not just yes. selfless, you know, self-promotion. Um, it, it's because... <laughs> It really is a good game and there's a huge amount of sort of hours in that game and it's different every time you play it. Um, and so, you know, I, I enjoyed making it and I enjoyed testing it. So I bring bring my own game. Well, yeah, so you can't bring like board games and like physical games. It's not allowed, unfortunately. Okay. We have to take the digital variety. So a deck of cards is a good idea, but... I mean, if you're going to take the next best thing, then a game that, you know, emulates Solitaire in a very unique way, 
your very own Shadow Hand is, is the way to do it. So the first game that you're actually going to take with you is Shadow Hand, which is a game that you released in December of last year, um, you know, developed by Great Alien Games. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. You know it better than anyone else. And uh, as you said, it was fun testing it and playing the game. But what is it about, like, card games like Shadow Hand and Solitaire? Because you have quite an extensive background mm. in, you know, Solitaire-based card games and other forms of that. What is it about these type of games that you love so much that you would want it to be with you all the time? Um, well, I guess it's just there's a certain kind of addictiveness to playing this particular type of solitaire. I mean, there's all different kinds of solitaire, right? So a lot of people think about Windows solitaire, yeah. and that's a different kind where you've got to make stacks. Um, this kind is called Golf Solitaire, where you sort of um, have to play cards one higher or lower than the last card, um, and it's, it lends itself to sort of faster, more fun, arcade-like gameplay. And you can almost sort of switch your brain off a little bit and just sort of play through the cards um, like that. However, when we added dueling to our, our game, so turn-based combat, basically, you have to think about the cards you're playing a lot more. Because if you leave a sort of easy run for the enemy, then they're going to sort of clean up and, and whack you or shoot you or whatever. So it's a lot more strategic. And, and, and also within our game we added a whole load of extra stuff which you you can't have in a deck of cards such as locks and keys and special abilities like charging stallions and branding irons yeah. and jokers all sorts of kind of cool extra stuff that add a whole new layer of fun and strategy to it and so it's just a sort of game that you know every time you play it's slightly different um and it's challenging and, you know, and there's a hard mode as well. So I'd play it through on normal first, then hard mode. And, and that, would, that would be quite a few hours, I think. Yeah. I think so, too. I, as we have found out on prior Final Games episodes, I am absolutely hopeless at Solitaire. And I do not truly understand the rules in any way, shape or form. Um, but... I have sort of learned a little bit since you know, some people have chosen Solitaire, like the pure window Solitaire before. Mm. What is it specifically about Shadowhand that you took from like Solitaire? And how, how do you go about taking like a very traditional game and then adding your own rules to it and adding your own modes? How do you keep the core, you know, game experience that people know and understand like Golf mm. Solitaire and then create this wonderful brand new experience where it still has that game but also all these new elements that you've introduced yourself hmm. okay so well the story for this starts actually a long time ago in gosh the 90s that's when i first played uh windows solitaire on windows 3.1 and i sort of got addicted to it and i even coded a version for the commodore amiga which i sent to a wow. uh, to a magazine but they never published it and i was ah oh. but you know that was, and then i didn't really think about it for another 10 plus years um and I was making casual downloadable games and I got approached by Big Fish Games to make the PC Mac version of a game called Fairway Solitaire. And I worked with a really good designer there called John Cutter. And he'd already made this sort of online game called uh, Fairway Solitaire, which was a golf themed solitaire game, which did have a few extras and stuff anyway. So I coded it and we also sort of worked on certain aspects of the design together. But he, he was the main designer. And then that game was actually a hit. It's just it wasn't my hit, if you know what I mean. It belonged to Big Fish Games. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then years later, my wife suggested we make a game called Regency Solitaire. So the same kind of idea, but set in a sort of Jane Austen-like novel. Yeah. Um, and then I went back to, you know, uh, 
the idea of Fairway Solitaire, but I, I recoded it all from scratch because you know I didn't own the code for the original. And I thought about what else could I add to make it exciting and interesting. And, you know, you just have to, the, the core gameplay is really good fun anyway. But, you know, there's a whole load of sort of cool bonuses you can add and then meta games surrounding it. So, you know, you're not just playing the same level and over and over. You've got different layouts and those different layouts give you different challenges. Um, but then you want different tools to solve those challenges. So that's why we added the shop element but it was really a ballroom that you decorate in your game and every everything you put in the ballroom has an effect upon the gameplay so it's not just pure decoration it's much more interesting um yeah you know and you test things and is that fun is that not fun but when you understand the space pretty well you kind of sort of know what will be fun um and you and you put it in the game so that's that's what we did with that and then regency solitaire turned into shadowhand um because regency solitaire is straight up solitaire but I wanted to make a game that was more suitable for the Steam audience, and that's where the turn-based combat came in, and all the RPG elements like equipping your character with weapons, um, outfit items, gear, abilities, and so on, and, and even leveling up. So all of that had stuff you, was a natural thing, you know. Had you had experience with RPGs before? Because you've predominantly made puzzle and sort of mm. card game-based stuff. Mm. Where did your sort of RPG... Uh, influences come from? Was it like your experience of playing RPGs or had you had a hand in helping some people make RPGs before? Um, well, you know, actually as a kid, I got into Dungeons and Dragons like so many do and I used to make yeah. my... I actually used to make my own rule systems and books and with spells and monsters and things and maps and just my own kind of RPG systems and I used to code primitive ones on the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum and stuff like that. But then I didn't really um, touch them in terms of coding for years, although I've played loads, Baldur's Gate and all that sort of stuff, you know, all these roguelikes. So I, I've played loads. I'm familiar with the genre and I love it. Um, then I made a, a free uh, sort of flash game a couple of years back called uh, Dungeon Pub Crawl. And it was about sort of um, you had to go around each floor of the dungeon, collect loot off goblins and spend it in the pub and get drunk and go down to the next floor. So um, and that that sort of sort of made me think oh you know i really want to make a sort of rpg game and yeah and you know so yeah i hadn't had d deep experience in coding one before but i i did know how they worked and i was a fan of the genre so you know i put it all together within shadowhand that said it was still a big learning exercise for me and i had to learn a hell of a lot about turn-based combat about balancing rpgs about progression throughout the whole game there was a lot to learn but i i feel like i leveled up as a game designer th through making that game Excellent. So going back to my introduction a little bit with the, the GDC talk included, um, do you feel now you can't make that speech anymore because Shadowhand has been a hit for uh, you? Or no. what, what, is your, what is your opinion now? No, I, I definitely could still make that speech because I don't think it was a hit, actually. I mean, it's done. People love it. It plays well and so on. And it's done okay for an indie game. Considering a lot of indie games make zero money these days or very little, it's done okay. But it's not a hit game. You know, it needs another zero to be a hit game, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Um, but it, it it's done well. It's helped put me on the map and I, you know, and I'm moving forward. I'm still in the industry. Um, but in terms of which games have sort of made me the most money overall or even dollars per hour that I've worked on them, it's actually not that much of a success part of the reason is because we work with the publisher and um, they invested a certain amount of money into getting the game made and yeah. we're, obviously, we're obviously you know paying that back through the, the the proceeds of the game 
and I spent like two and a half years making it, and that's too long. Basically, most of my other games were <laughs> three to six months. Re- Regency yeah. was a year, which wasn't too bad. And uh, so the problem is because I've spent a long time and I'm paying money back to the publisher. Yeah, I'm not making that much money from it at the end of the day. So for me, it's not really a hit. Um, and something like Regency or even Spooky Bonus has made more money. My my previous games. So yeah. ah okay, mm. I didn't know that. But yeah. I have seen like since its release, I've seen a lot of you know conversation about it. I saw a lot of the reviews when it came out, especially the Eurogamer one as mm-hmm. well. So I thought automatically that would equal some sort of success. I have heard from other developers and stuff like that. You have a certain maybe not monetary currency, but a social bank. Mm-hmm. That some of those games, like if they get a lot of traction on the internet, maybe it that doesn't automatically equate into success mm-hmm. money-wise. But then when you make something else, the social currency of that game having been quite popular does help towards the future. I agree with that. And in fact, what I would say is because I've made casual games for years and years... Um, you know, uh, still an indie developer. I work at home, make my own games, you know, but I was making a different type of game than air quotes indie games, right? And so I guess I didn't have any real traction in the press or with other indies until we made Regency Solitaire and that became pretty popular. A lot of people really liked that. But again, it's not really a hit. It's just, it got talked about a lot. And it's the same with Shadhand and I see it a lot with indie games. A lot of indies or press can talk about a game, but it doesn't mean that the public is running out buying 100,000 copies of it. Yeah. You know, it might only shift 10,000 copies or, or, or less. Um, and so that's the reality. But you're right. It has built me up a bit more within within this industry. And I believe it was pivotal in helping get funding for my new game, which unfortunately I can't talk about yet. But we will. That's do okay. An Don't worry. Soon. This is not the show yeah. for that. Don't no, worry. No. But, but <laughs> you, can, you can you can fire off some flares. You can fire off some flares from the deserted island okay. uh, about it. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like th- this, really interests me about it. Obviously, as someone who makes their own games as well, but mm-hmm. has not really stepped into taking the plunge to just be like, okay, I'm going to focus on this and then make this my job kind of thing. I've always been doing it aside to everything else, but. What what is it that you would consider a hit? Is it something that keeps your studio going for like an, a, another year, another two years, six months, or like oh this is now fi- financial stabi- stability for any sort of project we want to take on next? I guess th- then I have to draw a line between success and hit. Okay, so mm. I've made many successful games. They're successful by the very fact that a people like them. That's one measure. But B, yeah. they, they kept me in business, right? And so I've been in business yes. for 13 years now. And I, I would call to, that very successful. <laughs> right, thanks. And I hope to make to 14 and so on. So as long as, you know, people like my games and they've kept money coming in and I've stayed in business, that's a success. But I do have friends that have made hit games. And hit games are when they go, oh my God, you know, the money is really rolling in and it's a life-changing amount of money. Life-changing okay. life changing for me would just be enough to pay my mortgage off, right? And that, that's not even millions, it just, you know, but, you know, a certain amount where I could pay the mortgage off and go, wow, that would be nice. Uh, and I know people have had that and greater success. So that's what I'd call a hit game, um, just more like a life-changing amount where I maybe wouldn't need to work for a couple of years or I had more freedom with the next game I wanted to make or I could scale up my team size, which I don't want to do, um, or, you know, so much money that i could retire completely which again i don't think i would do i would still want to make games so i guess then for you as long as you can keep on 
keep on making the 14th, the 15th, the 16th year mm. and keep it rolling, it doesn't really matter too much. It would be nice, but as long as you can make games, that's the sort of right. plan. And so, yeah, and so the plan is, that's why I choose games which I guess aren't as risky as perhaps other people would want to do. Like, you know, you do get some people saying, why don't you take a big risk and do this? And it's like, well, I've got a family to feed, as per my yeah. talk and so on, you know, and it's like, I'd rather take a safer bet. And none of them are safe in the game industry, don't forget. It's pretty rare that a game, <laughs> a game is successful and makes its money back. That's pretty rare. But if I can do that and keep going, then there's always a chance the next game will be a hit. And no, I haven't, still haven't had that. And I've had many friends who have, but, you know, good for them. Maybe my time is, <laughs> is, is coming soon, you know. I hope so. I really hope so. With Shadowhand, it seems like the star is rising a little bit, especially yeah. from, what was it, the two years where the GDC talk was before. It almost mm-hmm. felt like the the natural progression of the story almost i know but you know it's, it's but as the main character it never it never <laughs> feels like that that's true um but it is interesting because everything i've sort of read uh, of articles or blog posts that you've written uh, you have a lot of advice about this kind of thing about making games in the, the shortest amount of time possible keeping your scope down knowing what sort of what to do and stuff like that and i guess that is the kind of thing that helps you to keep going that helps you be someone who is able to run their own studio for you know 13 14 years so yeah and it's just that that i let that get away from me with with Shadowhand because what i decided to do at a certain point when we realized oh dear we overscoped this project was i decided to try and make it the best i could with like loads of content really polished and we spent a lot of time making it good and i do believe it's my best game absolutely um but that all of that extra effort didn't pay off in terms of return Okay, so it wasn't a hit. And so I was like, okay, now I've got to go back to making shorter games in a more sensible manner and just yeah. seeing, seeing how that works. Ah, it's so much to learn. It, it's incredibly fascinating how even now having worked in both tri- like a triple a space compared to like making my own games and friends who make games as well. It's so fascinating to see the differences between everything and uh, shadow hand I, I've played Shadowhand. I'm very, very bad at it. I'm very <laughs> can't get my head around solitaire games at all. Oh. Very bad at it. But I can see like the as a very small team, the polish and the stuff that you put into it. I can definitely notice those touches of like going that extra bit further hmm. to make it seem a bit more like not like a triple A game, but a bit more of a. This took production a, a lot longer. This yeah, was just a high quality that, indie game. Is yeah, what we wanted it to be, and and I've achieved that, and I learned a lot. But it didn't sell more copies, and that is a bit sad, because uh, in a perfect that world, is... maybe that's what would happen. But it isn't what happens. That's the reality. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, on that sad thought, I think we should continue with the sad thought of okay. sending you to uh, to a deserted island, and we should move on to the next game, which is a kind of a, an RPG. Speaking of RPGs, mm. um, but we should move on to the next game. And listen to some music from it. Some very, very old school music. Wonderful music. Uh, And let's, of course, dive straight into it.
So jumping in to the next game on Jake's list, uh, but before that, of course, as always, we have to talk about the deserted place in which we're going to send you. And Jake, you might not know this, but we allow you the choice of a deserted place. Uh, but it has to be from video games. It has to be an environment or a, a place from a video game series or a video game. Of course, it's going to be deserted, so there are not going to be any NPCs or human characters that can help you out. But... If it has like dangerous wildlife, maybe, or something like that, you might have to be a little more careful. Mm. So is there anywhere that sort of immediately comes to mind as a nice place from a video game you enjoy that you would like to uh, spend spend some time, a well, lot that, of time? That's tricky. That is a tricky one. Because I tell you what I did like was um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and I liked the look of all the sort of lovely sunny um, islands there. Though, yeah. Um, they did have a few dangerous animals on them and obviously pirates and other things. But, you know, if they're deserted, there's but the no pirates. pirates. Yeah, yeah, the pirates wouldn't be there. So yeah, it truly yeah. would be like a pirate deserted island. A yeah. very traditional deserted island. I think so, because, you know, I just like the idea of it being quite warm and nice. So even though I'm stranded, at least, you know, um, at least I don't have to freeze to death or something. You know what I mean? Uh, and maybe I can yeah. befriend some of the wild animals. Who knows? <laughs> is black black flag is that the the caribbean that it takes place i'm pretty sure it is yeah yeah and there's you know a lot of, a bunch of sort of real islands that they've sort of mashed together in the game and i played that i think early in the the making a shadow hand as sort of research and got really into it it's a really good game Excellent. Well, you can, it's sort of, we'll find you a nice little tiny deserted island somewhere in the Caribbean uh, mm -hmm. for you to go then. Um, so we put you on the ship, we're packing your bags, and the next game that we're going to put in there is a game that we know as UFO Enemy Unknown. It was marketed mm -hmm. as XCOM UFO Defense in North America. Of course, one of the sort of original series that Jake, uh, the other Jake, <laughs> Jacob Firaxis was inspired by to create the new XCOM uh, games. Uh, originally developed by Mythos Games and Microprose, uh, designers by, you know, Julian Gollop and Tim Roberts and all those wonderful old MS-DOS developers and Amiga developers. It originally released in March of 1994 and had a PlayStation release a year after on 1995. I did not know that, actually, that it was on PlayStation as well. But Jake, the next game you're going to be taking with you is UFO Enemy Unknown. Why is it going with you? Well, it all starts back on the Spectrum. So on the Spectrum 48K, I got hold of a game called Laser Squad, and that was Julian Gollop's game, okay? And I was instantly hooked uh, to that game. And in fact, I used to go around a friend's house at the weekend, and we would play it. And because it was turn-based, what we would do is, like, one of us would take our turn whilst the other person had to go out of the room and just, I don't know, play on their skateboard or whatever, right? Because uh, I was <laughs> a teenager at the time. And, you know, and then and then you'd be moving your things and the, your friend would be like, you're taking ages, hurry up, you know, and then uh, <laughs> you'd finish your turn and then it was their turn and they'd go in and you'd go out and they'd sort of, you know, and you wouldn't know what was happening, right? You wouldn't know how many of your troops they'd killed or, yeah. or you know, what was happening. And it, it was brilliant, brilliant fun. That, that's actually sort of playing it two-player. Of course, you can play against the computer. Um, and one of the things which blew me away about that game on the very early ones was the first level, the moon base, you can actually blow up the walls, um, which I, I don't think I'd ever seen in that type of game. Well, in any, I hadn't really played that type of game, but it just was amazing to me. And I, I found out a trick on the very first level that you could sort of rocket 
send a rocket at the wall, blow it up and send another one in and kill the sort of first person hanging around in there. That's against the computer. But anyway, it's just a wonderful, wonderful game. And then years later, when I was making business software, uh, I came, I heard about UFO Enemy Unknown. Probably, I don't know if I played a demo because that was back in the days where, you know, PC magazines had demos on them. And I installed it at work and I just played it every lunchtime for like weeks and weeks. Uh, and then afterwards I got hold of... Um, you know the under underwater one, Terror from the Deep or something. I can't yeah. remember what it was called. Uh, yeah, the one that everyone kind of hates. Or oh, I don't I've, mind it. <laughs> I've heard people found that one to be incredibly uh, difficult to get along with. Right. Oh, it was tough, sure, but you know, just it's such a wonderful game, and I think it came out XCOM uh, Enemy Unknown in the sort of uh, X Files era as well, and of course, you know, it's got aliens and UFOs in it, so it all fits within that. And then, you know, look at my company name. My company name is Grey Alien Games. Um, and that's because I loved all that sort of X-Files stuff. And I even used to buy UFO magazines and things. So um, look, read all the bullshit in them, you know. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I've named my company after that. And, and so it's a big thing for me. It's just such a brilliant game. And you could play it over and over um, and just kind of never get bored, really. How do you like? I imagine that you've played the the most recent Fraxis XCOM games as well. I haven't actually, and that's weird, you know. Wow, that I, is very weird. I, it's kind of weird because I played this one, uh, and I played, as I say, the underwater one. Um, and I also played a game years ago called Chaos, I think, on the Spectrum by Julian Gollop. And then I know about all these new ones. I even bought one of them. And it just sort of stayed in a box in a to-play pile, and I didn't sort of get round to it. And I even own now some of them via Humble Bundle. I've got one of them installed on my PS4. And it's just, <laughs> I've got so many games I never get around to it because I think I just think, oh no, I've got to like learn this whole new game and I don't have time always these days to sort of delve into a really deep game. Um, yeah. Sometimes I just pick I up indie that. games and, and play smaller games instead, you know. So it's sad but that I haven't played any of the newer ones. I very much think you would enjoy them. Hmm. I, I definitely think would. you sh you should check them out at some point, especially if uh, UFO Enemy Unknown was uh, a very important game for you. It'd mm. be also good to see the sort of you know, the progression between the two and how they uh, the inspiration they took from the yep. the first games in the series by Julian. So, have you ever wanted to like make like a tactics based game like this? It, it seems very sort of in your area almost this turn-based yeah. strategy kind of stuff i you know i've never even made i've made a lot of game jam games as well as my sort of 11 commercial games but i haven't done a turn-based strategy game like this because it, it is pretty complex ultimately um lots of balancing lots of systems and so on but yeah i was always fascinated by it and maybe i will make one one day i mean the closest i've come to it is shadow hand simply because of the turn-based stuff um but no, I, I I haven't made one. I mean, I also like making arcadey games. I mean, I like all sorts of games, as you're going to see by my list. So this just Definitely. remains a sort of a fascination. I mean, I like other... Um, I ought to mention that, you know, I like other strategy games as well. What's the one I got? Well, I, I love stuff like Command and Conquer. Got really into that. Used to play that with friends at work. And uh, we actually had two PCs at my house. So people used to come around and we would sort of have LAN matches and stuff. Um, yes. So I love all that sort of stuff, really. Uh, but I, I probably, I probably don't play enough of it because they're so engrossing, and I just get really addicted. And and I've got other things to do, you know, make games, play other games, <laughs> hang out with my family, you know, all sorts of stuff, really. So. 
That's true. Well, you can take XCOM with you. And, okay. well, UFO, actually. Mm-hmm. We should call it by our uh, the British name, of course. Yes. Uh, you can take UFO Enemy Unknown with you. Alongside, as you said, you like a whole variety of different games. And we are very much going to touch on a lot of different genres and different types of games. So I think it's about time we move on to a next one that doesn't require very much strategy. It's more about Twitch reactions and gung-hoing your way into danger. Uh, unlike UFO Enemy Unknown, where you... So I have to take your time a little bit. So let's listen to some music from the next game. And let's, of course, dive straight into it. So the next game on Jake's list that he's going to be taking to his wonderful Caribbean island somewhere that will be deserted. We'll find a place. I'm sure there's still uncharted territory out there. Um, Alongside strategy in Shadowhand and also taking your time in tactics-based games like UFO Enemy Unknown, Jake, the next game you're going to be taking with you is a first-person shooter. Now... Naming conventions aside, we've gotten a little weird in the games industry where people are rebooting series or basically just a series has been dormant for so long that we like to name them with incredibly ridiculous conventions like, for example, 2018's God of War. Is it God of War 1? Is it it a remake of the original or Tomb Raider? Um, So the next game that you're taking with you is a game with also a ridiculous... Uh, (laughs) naming convention in Battlefield 1. Now, I am going to jump ahead and guess that it's the EA DICE one that came out in 2016. It is. I could be wrong. No, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's technically Battlefield 5, but, you know, or something. But then we do have Battlefield V, Battlefield 5, coming out this year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, (laughs) naming conventions aside, everyone knows that it's the uh, World War I shooter uh, that was released in 2016 by EA DICE and released for the PlayStation 4 in uh, October of 2016. Uh, It was also on PC and Xbox One. And, uh, yeah. So, we're moving into first-person shooters, Jake. Mm-hmm. Is this a sort of big genre for you, or is this sort of like the guilty pleasure that you open up sometimes when you, you just need to relieve some stress? Well, I shall explain a bit. So, um, well, actually, I was going to, yeah, I've got several points to make. So, I the first first-person shooter I played was Doom, okay? So, somebody had told me okay. about, about Doom. When I worked in a computer shop, this customer came in and told me about this game, and he said, you're kind of in this giant sort of warehouse full of demons, and you have a chainsaw and a shotgun. And I was like, what the hell? Um, and at the time I had a Commodore Amiga, not a PC. And then I played Doom at work. We installed it on the work PC. And when there weren't any customers in, I would play Doom. 
And I was like, oh my God, this game is amazing. And it was so amazing that I built my own PC there because I used to build them for customers. But I bought the components and I built a really fast PC just to play Doom. And that PC only had four megabytes of RAM, but it was enough. Um, and, then, <laughs> you know, and then later on, Doom 2 came out and I had to upgrade to eight megabytes of RAM to play Doom 2. Um, and I played those for a lot of time, so much that I was like walking through town and I would catch myself strafing, you know, at, at crossings and things like this. Um, so I love first person shooters. I've got this collection of like all the classic ones from back in the day, like Quake and Quake 2 and Hexen and Heretic and um, uh, the Star Wars ones. Um, you know, I've got so I've got loads of first person shooters. I've always been a big fan and I'll always drop into them. And most recently, I was really pleasantly surprised by the Wolfenstein game, the new one. Um, oh, yeah. By Bethesda. Yeah, wonderful. Really amazing. Actually, one of the best ones I've played in years. And the new Doom. I really like that. Um, so what but but those games mostly are Twitch based, like you say, and, and you know, you need to sort of speed and so on. Um, and. Uh, but there is there are tactics obviously within that yeah you know and that's how players get really good they figure out certain tactics to take people out so it's, so it's not all just twitch skills um i remember this one guy who worked with us he said he played quake on xbox and uh, said he was really good and i said you can't be because you're using a controller and i use a mouse there's no way you can be that good at it so he challenged me because he thought he was and i beat him 20-0 and i said there, there you go yo please accept that now well you know. take that <laughs> yeah anyway so getting back to battlefield so i started playing it because i was working on shadowhand and cliff harris who from positech game he, he's the um, publisher of Shadowhand. And he said, why don't you try out playing Battlefield sometime with me and this other guy um, for fun? And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be working on the game, blah, blah, blah. And he convinced me and I bought it and I started playing it. And at first I was really out of touch with sort of multiplayer gaming and so on. And I struggled. And then I got into it. And since then, I kid you not, I've probably put about, I think, according to Origin, like 500, 600 hours into it. Wow. So I No wonder Shadowhand took so long. Well, I actually, you know, I think it could have been a couple of days, sorry, a couple of months sooner if I hadn't played that game. Maybe. But <laughs> but uh, no, blame I blame Dice. I blame do. EA. I, I blame um Cliff Harris for introducing it to me. But I, I actually wasn't playing it in the day when I should be working. It was it was just at the end of the day we'd use it as a sort of your mates, you know, Discord in and you, you chat to them about yeah. how your day's gone. You even discuss design problems with them or code issues, you know, or stuff what's happening in the market. A bit like blokes going down the pub, you know, if I can use a gender stereotype there, after work and going, you know, and chatting to the mates. But this was us playing this game. And and the, the wonderful thing about Battlefield 1 is you can make a squad and it's you and your mates and you help each other out. Like you've got a medic, a support guy, an assault guy or sniper. You help each other out. And um, also, if you, one of your mates is somewhere on the map and you die, you can respawn where they are. So, um, you know, that adds a whole new level of strategy. And it's just really good. And, and you mentioned about Twitch skills. Yes, there are some. But actually, there's a surprising amount of strategy in this game. You know, you do have to sneak around. You have to know where the enemies are. You have to yeah. know the best places to Battlefield has things. always traditionally been a bit more squad-based strategy than games like call of duty i guess mm -hmm. yeah i'd agree i mean a call of duty there's a lot of hiding behind waist high walls and stuff but there's so much in battlefield i mean because it's 32 players versus 32 and and we're not bored of it now you know i'll, I'll play it tonight right so another hour tonight 
and there's all the vehicles the crazy sort of guns the setting the setting is unique the graphics are incredible i just love it it's just a really really good game and i think maybe i'm not as fast as some of the twitch players in their 20s because i'm in my 40s now um, but I can use the strategy and me, me and my friends, you know, we often come out as the top squad or we win, win, get the, you know, a, a mention at the end as one of the best players, because I think we employ strategy um, more than Twitch skills. Oh, that's I can I've never been someone who can really get into first person shooters. I enjoy them and I will enjoy the odd multiplayer shooter now and again. But I've always kind of had the fantasies of having like a squad who plays quite frequently and we can like call out uh, instructions to each other and, and do it strategically and stuff like that. So I kind of feel sad that you're going to take this game with you. And yes, you can play online, but the problem is you can't communicate with other people because uh, we, we can't have you risk giving your location away oh to be dear. rescued. So I so, can't spell it out with, with with like bullet holes on a wall or something. I mean, if Battlefield has like in-game emotes that tell you, that can tell players to go to certain areas and stuff like that, is that possible? Can you do that inside Battlefield One? Um, no, I'm trying to think really. No, I think you know you where well, you, you've got the text chat, but I presume you'd switch that off if I'm stuck on the island. And if I can't communicate, I could still play the game, but I don't. Well, one of you is squad leader and can at least say go to this location or that location. So that's, that's yeah worth doing. You know, that's maybe you'd doing. have to demote yourself from squad leader now and yeah, again, just and yeah. just follow orders. Yeah, maybe true. we can set that up so you can't <laughs> communicate to them, but they can communicate to you. We can't have you, you know giving the coordinates away or any form of morse code uh via the game that's so we'll have to double check well i'm glad you at least let me have that one as because i know it's a multiplayer game but you know my pc's got some kind of satellite wi-fi or something so that's good yeah no don't worry about the internet you know you can have that we just have to be a little careful about you trying to escape you, okay. you know you are fated to relax on a caribbean island for the rest of your days so wouldn't want to deprive you of that pleasure have you moved into any other first person shooters then since getting bitten by the battlefield one bug are you excited by battlefield 5 that's coming later this year um yeah good question yeah battlefield 5 we have definitely interested in that i've been watching the sort of trailers and so on and honestly i mean i like the battlefield 1 setting because it was it was um quite different from most world war ii or modern shooters but i don't mind world war ii shooters actually i know people often say oh they're bored of them but i like them and um so I'm quite interested in Battlefield 5 as long as they, to be honest, as long as they've stuck with the formula of Battlefield 1 and just sort of swapped all the vehicles and weapons and scenes out, it will be good as long as they've kept the squads. Because um, we did try out the Star Wars one, Battlefield, what's it called? Star Wars Battlefield 2 or something. I can't remember. But anyway, it, yeah, Battlefront, it, yeah. Battlefront, yeah. It didn't have squads. And honestly, it was a bit of a letdown. Um, it did not have the same feeling for us, at least. Maybe if we'd been playing solo Battlefield 1 anyway, it would have been OK. But but not having the squads yeah. was really missing it from that. So um, we have played a bit of Overwatch. And Overwatch, of course, does have um, a team. And you're on a team and can communicate. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And we've enjoyed that. I tried a bit of Fortnite with my son. And it was kind of OK. Yeah, I mean, the Battle Royale mode, you know. Um, but I think there's a lot of downtime where you're not really doing much in that. Whereas Battlefield 1 is always, you always do. It's very, that. very, very different, yeah. yeah. I, it's mm. more like stalking people out than Battlefield where 
you'll have a little bit of that and you'll have to strategically think about, you know, using that to your advantage to get behind an enemy or flank an enemy with a squad and stuff like that. But it is definitely a bit more, you know, toe-to-toe gunplay over a short period of time compared to like Fortnite where you might have like one gunfight and then you're dead or the other person's dead and then you'll go another five to ten minutes without finding another person on the map depending mm-hmm. on where you are yeah and that, i'm not sure about that i mean it's a different pace of play i guess and i've got so used to this fast pace that it wasn't as appealing to me that's really nice to hear that you're enjoying this sort of genre with people like i always love that i love people sort of maybe straying out of their comfort zone a little bit to play other games especially mm-hmm. if other people are helping them out that's really mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. well you can take that with you thank you alongside another game and this game i think um maybe i wouldn't expect uh maybe yourself to take it but i mean this game goes without saying it's been chosen on final games many times before because it's very obviously the perfect and ultimate deserted island game so why don't we listen to some very calm and collective music from the next game on jake's list and let's of course jump straight into it So the next game that Jake has taken, is taking with him to the Deserted Island is the ultimate in Deserted Island games. It's the game that allows you to pretty much do anything, whether it's one you want to build like the King's Landing from Game of Thrones, whether you want to build the Enterprise from Star Trek. If you want to build computers, you can. If you want to make pixel art, you can. In this game, you can pretty much do all of that. And... It's such a sweet little game. It's, of course, developed by Mojang, and it was developed by Notch. It was released originally back in 2011 and has been downloaded or bought way over almost 150 million times, uh, which is insane. Uh, Speaking of hits, it's Minecraft. (laughs) Jake, why is Minecraft the next game that's going with you? Okay, well, um, with, with my list, I was trying to cover a widespread of games to satisfy different gaming needs. So I've got the FPS in there, I've got the strategy, I've got the kind of casual Shadowhand game. So Minecraft, I felt, um, would scratch the creative itch in me because you don't even have to play it as a game. Remember, you can just kind of construct really cool things, um, castles or machines or whatever you want, really. And so it's more like a sort of creative thing. And as long as my, my mind wanted to create something, this was the perfect game for it. Um, and you know I have had a lot of fun with Minecraft Um, I first played it in 2010 I think uh, before you know it was officially sort of released but you could still get it from their website Um, 
And that's because one morning I saw a video, I was watching a video in bed on my laptop and there was this game popped up called Minecraft and I was like, holy crap, I think I'm going to like that game. I could tell just by the video. And I bought it immediately and then me and my sons played it for 14 hours straight. Um, wow. And we loved it. And then we just, I got more licenses and we started to play it multiplayer and we would yell to each other from different rooms, you know, oh, here comes a creeper or whatever. Or um, we'd all go on missions in, in the caves together or we'd build castles together and stuff like that. And, and um, it was just, just been really good. And I mean, he, he, I don't really play it anymore for the last couple of years, occasional dip in with uh, my son if he wants to play it. But he's been playing it even quite recently. Um, it's just... I don't know. It's sort of replayable game. Love to create stuff. Um, I just like it a lot. I like the kind of vibe, you know. So then, tell me. Uh, this is kind of my ultimate question for people who are going to take Minecraft because you have so much time, and people generally who play Minecraft have like grandiose ideas of what they're going to build. Do you have like an ultimate build, like a big long-term project in your head of what you would like to one-to-one -one scale recreate in Minecraft? You know, I never got into that sort of recreating. What I m most preferred, okay, and this is p perhaps due to my upbringing in the Dorset countryside, we're surrounded by hill forts. So like Iron Age and Bronze Age people used to get on these hills and make forts on them and sort of defend them from, um, you know, other tribes and Romans or whatever. And the Romans eventually put temples on them. So in Minecraft, I always like to sort of find a nice hill and then go up on top and build some kind of castle and then walls around it and stuff and then steps up to it and so on. And then what I like to do is build a road from that castle out across the landscape, cutting through everything and then find another hill and build another sort of thing on that. Put some beds in it, which means you can teleport there. I mean, you can wake up there, you know, and um I just like to do that really more like conquering the landscape and gradually building all kinds of different things. Um, so making a world appear really and of course digging mines and stuff as well. So it's more that that's more the way I play it than building one giant, uh, you know, recreation of something. If someone had to force you to make something, though, oh, like sorry. An, 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 an omnipotent God who could send you to a deserted island, what would you be pitching as a project? Um, Sorry, say that again. If I like, if if you were forced by some oh. god who's sending you to a deserted island, what what would you build? What would oh, be the okay. thing? You said you're like a big fan of like UFOs and X Files mm. and stuff like that. What would be like the the thing you would build? You'd be pitching a project. Um, I guess it probably would be a massive castle with a dungeon underneath it, with all traps and stuff, so that you could then put someone in it and they could play it like an adventure. I'd probably do something like that. That would sound really fun. This is the thing about Minecraft and a lot of game developers who take Minecraft. It's the idea of almost having like a, a, a mini game engine to take with you to make games inside of. I mean, yeah. you can make like small computer programs inside using Redstone in Minecraft. Obviously mm. not to the complexity of something like Pico 8 or something like that. Right. But this is the kind of keeping your creativity, keeping the design mind going. Yeah. So Pico 8, I, I mean, I didn't put on the island because it's a programming language, not a game. But I nearly yeah. put in I nearly put in shoot 'em up construction kit, which was a thing on the Commodore 64 and Amiga where you could make your own vertical or horizontal scrolling shoot 'em ups. And it sort of came with a load of um, examples. And it wasn't really a programming language. It was more like a toy. And that was something that almost made it on my list because I thought I could just make shoot 'em ups forever. Then you made all the graphics and the levels and it was just really yeah. cool. That would be cool. But Minecraft, I think, is a bit more extensive, a, mm -hmm. a tool to allow you to create 
pretty much anything. Anything you would like. Including a castle with a wonderful dungeon. <laughs> yep. I look forward to playing it after you finished it and also like strolling through the rolling hills of your world. Yeah. Enjoying the sort of the, the polygonal sheep <laughs> that appear on the hills as well. For sure. <laughs> well, you can take that with you alongside a game that features rolling hills covered in snow. And we are bouncing around here. We've had tactics games, card games, we've had first-person shooters, uh, block-building games, and now we're going straight into the sort of traditional hardcore Western RPG. So let's listen to some very iconic music from the next game on Jake's List, and let's, of course, dive straight into it. I think the next game on Jake's list needs no introduction. It's one of the most popular action role-playing games of all time. After, you know, we had Minecraft, speaking of more huge video game hits, this game has been ported to more consoles and platforms than I think most games in the world. It's now on the Nintendo Switch as well. It's on PlayStation VR. And it released all the way back in November of 2011 for the PlayStation 3, Windows, and Xbox 360. It's the game developed by Bethesda Game Studios and published by Bethesda, directed by the lovable Todd Howard, it's, of course, The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. Jake, you sort of, you put Skyrim and then you put in brackets all The Witcher 3 in your initial choice for this slot on the list. Why is it that Skyrim was the sort of go-to first choice? And you said with all the DLC, that's fine. You can take all the DLC. What is it about Skyrim compared to The Witcher 3, which I would say are very, very different games, but, you know, huge Western RPGs. What is it that's about Skyrim that sort of edges it over maybe The Witcher 3? Yeah, I don't know if I fully decided, but uh, I think I've probably put more hours into Skyrim. Um, maybe? Yeah. Um, I, I would say they are very similar games. I know they're different in their systems, mechanics, story, setting, but they're more similar than perhaps the other games I've mentioned. But um there's a bit of a problem with either of these games, whether it was Skyrim or The Witcher, which is that they're not really that replayable in terms of they're not roguelikes or, you know, they're not regenerating yeah. the world each yeah. time. So I would sort of love to... Pl I just realised that they're long, and if I explored every nook and cranny and did every side quest, I could get a couple of hundred hours out of each one. And then the, the I guess which what swings it really is, with Skyrim, I could start again with a different class or something. Um Whereas with The Witcher, you, you couldn't. Uh, so maybe that's what swings it for me with Skyrim. You know, replaying as a completely different build. Yeah, it's almost like it. replaying, uh, role-playing as a brand new character. You can sort of take it 
take the role-playing bit maybe a bit more seriously next time and that kind of yeah. thing be a different race whereas when you play the witcher 3 you are stuck with being Geralt mm-hmm. every single time you play that game even yeah. though it is a wonderful game to replay once you played it once but yeah you are kind of you know stuck being Geralt so with Skyrim it maybe does give you a little more options for being on a deserted island but what is it about Skyrim then that is a a game that is worthy of being on the only eight games you can take with you to a deserted island then well i guess i just love rpgs i really like the setting of skyrim i played it a lot actually um with my wife on the pc um that's helen she made regency solitaire and shadowham with me um and we even rebought the uh fancy edition i can't remember what it's called the you know with the the new textures and so on on ps4 okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we we bought it on PS4 because a couple of years ago we got a really nice uh, wood burner stove in our living room and I quite like playing console games in there with the fire going and stuff like this. Very and, nice. Um, and so we got the we get the fire going, the kids are in bed, whatever, and then Helen likes brewing um, alcoholic drinks from berries she's found. Like she makes slow gin, uh, so you get slow berries and put some in and it makes it go red so it looks like a potion so we've got these fancy glasses and we pour out a bit of the slow gin like a potion <laughs> and then uh and then we play skyrim with the fire lit you know and um and helen i am is, very jealous well she's so into it that that the, the vibe that she really wants a skyrim house given a choice we'd have this like huge wooden door with metal things on it and we'd have a a sort of rooms and furniture that looked like skyrim stuff um but i I keep going no we won't be able to sell the house in the future if we do all this weird stuff (laughs) um so so she's sort of really into that vibe don't listen helen do it (laughs) i know i know it's me being too practical and boring i think uh so i just i guess i like the vibe i've had really good times playing it i mean there are other classic rpgs you know i love the ultima series of games ultima 7 especially i love the Baldur's gate games um, you know, and Helen and I used to play that and strategize how to beat them. I played RPGs all, all my life, really. And I guess it's pretty immersive Skyrim as well, w- with it being 3D and so on. Heck, if I could bring a... I haven't tried the VR version, so if I could take a VR headset to the island, maybe I'd do that, Skyrim VR instead. Well, and then I could start know, we, again. Well, we could maybe give you the PlayStation 4 version and also the PlayStation VR version. I can be yeah. kind like that. Yeah, okay, and, that sounds good. Because they are two very different experiences, but mm. one might allow you to uh, keep your mind a little more active and stave off the insanity for a, a you know a bit longer mm. with the VR one, allowing you to sort of get your exercise as well. Because maybe your deserted island is quite small, you need to roll through the the hills of Skyrim, sort of walking around as much as possible. Yeah, I do <laughs> that world. One of the I need one of those um, special. Um you know, uh, walking sort of things that you can stand on and omnidirectional things, you know? Yes. Yeah, I need one. Yes, I have seen those. Yeah, I did. I I, wasn't that like a huge Kickstarter a couple of years ago that I, has that even been released yet? Can we get hold of one of those for you? I don't know. And I don't know, you know, if it would even really work or feel real, but let's just assume that if it was good, yeah, I'd want one of those. Because years ago, I remember thinking the ultimate RPG would be like, you're in a room, this is, and you could sort of project onto every single wall a scene from the game, you know, depending on which way you're facing. And you could sort of play it yeah. in your room and swipe around with the weapons and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think we're, we're getting more and more in that direction with with, with games. So I'm really kind yeah, of Yeah, with VR, definitely. Active, yeah, active RPGs so you're not just sitting there. Because I, the other thing I do is I teach Aikido, which is a Japanese martial art. And I've been yes. doing, doing that for 21 years. And 
you know, I like to sort of not always sit down and like to be more active. So if I could be more active and play games um, and actually use the sort of fighting tactics um, decently, then then that would be awesome. So we have to call Todd Howder. We have to ask for a VR headset, a copy of Skyrim VR, also some sort of like mocap sword that has yeah. <laughs> those little balls on it so it, it, it tracks the one-to-one motion of uh your swipes and stuff like that yeah. and also maybe maybe some sort of uh that wasn't there like someone made that sort of body vest armor that had like the uh, or the muscle or something yeah, yeah the impact thing so if you get hit maybe by an arrow you take an arrow to the knee or something like that you you feel like a little wince of pain <laughs> as it contracts yeah, yeah. your muscles yeah that could be good. And then a, some kind of smell mask or something. You put. No, I don't yeah. think I'd want that. I don't think I'd want to smell all the like draugas in the tombs, to be honest. Yeah, I'm that's sure true. Or like good. burning dragon flesh when yeah. you absorb it soul yeah. for a song or something. But like it would be that. good when you went to the pubs, you know, and they were all full of food and the fire was lit and stuff. That could be kind of cool. That would be very nice. Yeah. See, but you can do that in your own home. You just have to let your wife take over. Yeah, well, not if I'm stuck in a desert island is what I mean. Ah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Maybe I can get Helen to remodel a house on the island before you go there. Yes. But then she wouldn't get it. So it's kind of redundant. <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> oh. But I guess that's why I've chosen it. I love RPGs. It's a classic. Um, you know, there are other ones I could pick. My son thinks Oblivion's better. So, um, you know, but there you go. That is a definitely a debate that the internet has quite frequently. But Skyrim has, you know, it's what sort of like thirty million copies now across mm. all platforms. It's on pretty much every platform every anyone owns now, whether it's the PC, the PlayStation Four, the Nintendo Switch, uh, even uh, your Alexa. You can actually really? play that joke version on the Alexa. Yes. Um, so I, if you are interested in RPGs, I, you know you have to have played Skyrim at some point. It's almost like video game learning these days. It's mm-hmm. it's like a textbook for video game design as well. I, I could have um, taken Fallout 4 as well. Would have been another option, but I've, I've gone for the fantasy. Just, it just pipped it. Fantasy seems a bit more up your street, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, you can take Skyrim along with you. Uh, this next game, uh, a game I've still not had chance to play, but now it's on the Nintendo Switch. I really want to check it out at some point soon. It looks fantastic. It's right up my kind of street with the aesthetic and the sort of quirky game design behind it. So let's listen to some excellent music from the soundtrack, which is fantastic and part of a huge part of the game design as well. So let's dive into the next game on Jake's list.
So jumping in to the next game on Jake's list is a game all about music, dungeons, and uh, basically roguelikes. Uh, finally getting into sort of games that are uh, incredibly replayable. It's a, a game developed by Brace Yourself Games and it released originally back in 2015 on the PC. Since then has had ports on the PlayStation 4, the PlayStation Vita, Xbox One and this year on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it had an original soundtrack written by uh, Danny, uh, what's his name? Danny Baranowski. Yeah, and, Danny B style, yeah. Yeah, Danny B, yeah. And the uh, player's actions are paired with the music. It's a beat matching rhythm game where you explore a roguelike dungeon to the music. I have still haven't checked it out. It looks awesome every time I look at footage of it. It is, of course, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Jake, why is Crypt of the Necrodancer going with you? Well, because it's a roguelike and I sort of had to have one of those just due to the replayability and there are so many yeah. good ones to choose from. Um, but the, honestly, Crypt of the Necrodancer is one of the best, not just because of the pairing of it with um, uh, music, but it's just a good roguelike anyway, right? Um, and I haven't beat it yet. Like, I tried really <gasps> hard, but I just get mashed on about floor four, I think. And... You know, like I'd have to take it to the island and see if I could finally master it because obviously people have yeah. eaten it, people speed run it and stuff. So there's there's more in it for me, you know, even even at this stage. Um, and I, I know the developer, Ryan Clark, actually, because I did live in Vancouver for four years. And I knew him before that, actually, because um, from an old indie game developer forum. Uh, and then uh, we became friends in Vancouver and... Then we worked together at Big Fish Games. Then I quit. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah, I came back here eventually. And Ryan eventually quit and um, did something else for a year due to uh, non-compete clauses. And then he started on Crypt and the Necrodancer with um, another employee from Big Fish, uh, Oliver. And he's a great guy. And they, they made the game. Um, and, you know, it, it's proved super popular. And that's because it's, it's really good. It's just really addictive, really fun. You know, different every time, different sort of weapons, different layouts, different special items, lots of things to unlock. It's just a classic, really good sort of arcadey fun game that I, when I start playing it, I, I have to sort of force myself to stop and go to bed or something because, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's that addictive. It's, it's that good. I st oh, I'm so mad at myself because I've played so roguelikes and stuff like that have been ever since I think I, the first time I played Rogue Legacy and Spelunky hmm. back then. It's been this genre that although we have, you know, every week we get about five of them a week now. Dude. There have been so <laughs> many incredible ones come out. Of course, like Crypt of the Necrodancer, uh, at, you know, Rogue Legacy, Spelunky. We have games like... Uh, lots of games on the switch that come out now that are roguelikes as well mm. it's just one i've never picked up no i don't i know why because it would seem like i love rhythm games i love you roguelikes. totally should man you should get it i mean i used to play roguelikes back on the amiga there was one called lan which was classic and i played many, that for many many hours and there are even some 3d ones i think one was called captive was a sort of 3d one um, yeah, but using the dungeon master engine type of thing, uh, you know, and there there are many good ones, and I've done. I'm, I'm not wanting to do a disservice to all the other ones that I've missed out. I mean, I nearly picked Darkest Dungeon. Have you played Darkest Dungeon? I have played Darkest Dungeon, not very right. much of it, but I also picked that up on the Nintendo Switch, and I've played oh. a couple of hours of it. Yeah. So I mean, that's also made in Vancouver, and I know the team who made that, and that game was was brilliant, and I started playing that 
um, a couple of years ago, I think, when it was in early access or something. And it was so addictive, I again, I had to force myself to stop playing and get, and get some actual work done. But that's a fabulous game as well, and it nearly... It nearly made it on the list instead of Crypt of the Necrodancer, but I think Crypt of the Necrodancer's got that arcade-like fun element, which just put, pips pips it for me. Maybe it's tough. It's a tough call. It's also good to have, you know, as we have talked about on Final Games before. It's always good to have a game that has good music that you can just turn yeah. on and put on in the background and have a walk mm-hmm. around your little island and also listen to some good music. That's true, and that is a very good point. Yeah. And it has, uh, even now with uh, some later editions of the game, it features, you know, music from great artists like Chipsel as well, who is a wonderful yep. British chiptune artist, and many other people, uh, including the Shovel Knight uh, soundtrack creator, Vert, Jake Kaufman. Right, so, yep. absolutely, so a fantastic choice, even uh, even though I haven't even played it. Yeah, it is a classic one. You, you should play it. Um, definitely but it's tough right and you have to stick at it like at first you'd be flailing around and get beaten by everything but ryan uh, the designer he what what he said is the thing with a lot of roguelikes is you can die and it's not really your fault some of the time you just get sort of mobbed or you know you just yeah the wrong, the wrong enemies or whatever but he wanted this game um to be purely skill based so that's the whole point in the movements is that you kill the enemies with the movements and if you do the right movements they won't injure you and you'll always be able to kill them but you have to learn them and you have to learn them so that it becomes second nature, like, you know, automatic movements with your hand. You can't afford to think about it, especially when the beats speed up. Right. So it's a really sort of interesting skill, like learning the guitar or, or, or something or, or, or learning to dance, you know, because you can't engage your logical brain. You just have to sort of play like that. But you use your logic to decide where to go and what items to choose and stuff like that. So. It was a really interesting idea of his to make roguelikes fair so that nobody could complain they were unfair. They were just hard and they could say they sucked at rhythm games, which is a different complaint, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, as like guitarists, just something you practice at and get better and better at. Yeah, yeah. And and it definitely worked. And he used to have huge followings whenever he showed off at stuff like PAX and he was part of the, the um, IGF and... You know, because he had the dance mat on the floor, you know, there'd be this huge crowd around his stand. So it was super popular like that and for press. And all, all of that went into helping make the game a success. So I would say that's a hit game, definitely. I was going to say, bat- is he one yeah. of the the said aforementioned friends? Yeah, he definitely <laughs> is. And so are the Darkest Dungeon guys as well. Uh, and so, yeah, Ryan off the back of that has gone to make um, Brace Yourself games and... You know, he just announced um, t- two videos yesterday. One of them he'd already announced was um, Industries of Titan, but there's another cool video. And then there's another game, which unfortunately I forget the name of, but it's about mechs versus tanks by the looks of things. And it's got really good quality uh, video, it's sort of triple I standard, you know what I mean? Or I guess you get that after you get a hit, you can uh, yeah. push yeah. push that production budget up a bit more. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he's done that and fair play to him, you know. Well, it is an excellent game, and I am definitely going to pick it up on the Switch after we finish recording this. All right. Always happens on Final Games. I end up spending money after recording an episode. <laughs> That's what happens every single time a game gets introduced on this show. Um, but moving on from that, we're going to move on to the second-to-last game on Jake's list. And we're moving into another popular genre of video games, racing games. So we've been all across the spectrum. If you if you walked worked walked into a GameStop or a game in the UK or a a video game store before, we have basically just picked 
every shelf for a game. So let's move on to the next game. And let's, of course, dive straight into the second to last game on Jake's list. So before we move on to the second to last game on Jake's list, Jake, you've kind of done, you've thrown me here because sorry, you included basically the entire series of one game and also or, or an entire genre of rally games and then also uh, Drive Club with all the DLC. So you put Dirt 2, Dirt 3, Dirt 4, whatever, or Drive Club with all the DLC. I'm yeah. going to have to make you choose just one of them. Um, let's go with Dirt 4. That's the one I'm playing at the moment, and it's the most so, modern, best-looking one. So Yeah, yeah, Dirt 4 is the, the most recent one. came out last year. So <laughs> unfortunately, we have to choose only eight games, Jake. Okay. Eight games. I okay. don't know if you got the memo, but... I eight did. Games. I just not, it was not, just not eight rally games. <laughs> I just remember having a great time with two and three is still shrink wrapped in an Xbox 360 box on my shelf. I never got around to playing, which is kind of annoying. So I thought maybe I should take that. And you know, a lot of driving games are very similar. Some are better than others, so it doesn't yeah. matter too much as long as I pick a good one. And Drive Club was really good as well. So, but let's go with Dirt Four. Okay, so the the next game that you're going to be taking with you is the game developed by Codemasters. It's the 12th game in the Colin McRae Rally series, you know, with the new title of Dirt having been. Um, it was released in June of 2017 for the, the PC, the PlayStation 4, and the Xbox One. It is the latest game in the series and features locations including my, my wonderful uh, Wales, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So, Jake, why is the next game that's going with you? A racing game, because we know that you, you had quite a few in mind. I imagine you're a huge fan of them. Why is Dirt 4 going with you? Well, as you imagine, I might have a story about that. So um, when I was a kid, I actually thought racing games were boring. And that's because they were on 8-bit computers. And they, they were basically boring or simulations. I didn't really enjoy them. Um, though I did enjoy a game called Buggy Boy on the Commodore 64. That was quite Buggy fun. Boy. Remember that? Um, I classic. have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Now you, you probably you probably don't remember. You bit too young, I reckon. But it was a good eight bit <laughs> classic game. Um, and I used to like uh, one of these sort of overhead racing games where you would race around on a track or BMX racer. So so I guess I always liked it a little bit, but I never really got into the genre big time until I built a Pentium one three three and I got a game called wait. No, I can't even remember what it's called now, and that's annoying. Okay, so I got this racing game, and it was so good and such great graphics um, that I suddenly became addicted. And also, around the similar time, I played Wipeout for the first time on PlayStation 1. 
yeah a friend, a friend had it at university when i went to see him and, and i just played it all weekend basically um and so i got bitten by the the racing bug and then i played ridge racer and stuff like that and then i got hold of colin mccray um you know oh I'm, what did i play on ps2 um gran turismo 3 and i put probably 100 hours into that you know and i suddenly realized i love racing games um and around that time i got a payout from this software company that i was working in and i actually bought a subaru impreza turbo which is um one of the sort of two liter turbo you know street nice. versions of the rally cars and i got yeah. one of those and it was <laughs> and it was amazing like i couldn't believe it it's such a fast <laughs> awesome car and then i um i got it powered up you know i changed the turbo i got a different exhaust i got you know different wheels uh dump valve and all that and it was not 16 five seconds that car so it was it was pretty fast four-wheel drive wonderful car had it for years had to sell it when i moved to canada um but i sold it to someone else who looked after it and had good fun with it um so yeah the the racing game bug even sort of spilled over into into real life in a sense and before i sold it i did take it around a racetrack in wiltshire and that was really good fun taking it up to massive speeds and stuff um yeah so i just love that arcade immediacy and i'll tell you what else i like this is a weird thing i don't know if people have ever said this before about racing games but i find them meditative because when you race on these rally games, you can't mess up, right? You have to complete that track or, or course without crashing or mashing your vehicle or whatever. Yeah. So I I have to 100% focus on what I'm doing and not let thoughts drift into my mind about work or family or something or another. Or I can't get any distractions. And so it forces me to really, really focus. And I think that's actually mental training that you can take with you into other things you might do in your life. That's my theory anyway, or my justification partly for playing them. <laughs> so this is almost a one part like meditative training, one part yeah. fun racing game, and also memories of your Subaru Impreza. Yeah, yeah. And it all now rolled into one. Yeah, when I play Dirt 4 now, you know, of course, I got bought the Impreza as soon as I could. And then I've got one of each sort of different model now in the game. And I love racing it around. And you know, it's like gives me memories. Um, yeah, having my old Subaru. I've got a really boring car now. I've got a Vauxhall Vectra, a very sensible family car. <laughs> <laughs> what are, so you, you've played a broad spectrum of racing games. What are the ones that you prefer the most? Like the, the more simulation-based like Gran Turismo or... You know, dirt, dirt sort of straddles the line between being arcadey and a lot more uh, forgiving and mm. also being a simulation of rally, you know, mm. rally game, uh, rally t cars. Sure. Which which do you prefer? Um, I think it is the rally style ones because I have played, I mean, stuff like Drive Club, you race around tracks and other things. Um, and I can get into that, you know, trying to master a track and beat the other drivers and so on. Um Though I often do dirty tactics like mashing them out of the way if the engine lets you do it without taking damage and stuff. But I, I actually like, one of the things I like about dirt, and I know this seems weird, but is I like uh, looking at the scenery as I'm traveling along. So I like the idea of rallying through Wales. Yeah. I like, yes. looking at, you know, and I say to my wife, yeah, we've got to go and visit Wales soon. And it's because I've been playing this game. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and in fact, years ago, when I made business software, I did have to, um, 
go to visit a client in in Wales and I drove my Subaru up there and it was just me on these empty sort of like roads going for these valleys and mountains and it was just awesome fun just and I thought I'm getting paid to drive my car through these you know roads (laughs) um, which is pretty cool so I think I like the scenery you know like driving around these sort of windy roads in Japan or seeing Spain or Scotland and you know I have I have been to Scotland and driven a car around there and these sort of similar landscapes and there's something kind of nice about that I guess it, it makes me wistful you know wanting to visit these places and not actually drive around them full speed like in the game but just to take in the the just the to t- take in the atmosphere yeah I have yeah, been lucky yeah. enough to you know grow up in Wales and drive through Wales and now I live in Japan and I drive through Japan both mm. extremely beautiful so if the next best thing is to do that in a video game I I totally understand and agree and then so when I'm on the island I can get this vibe of you know maybe snowy places or you know forests Dif- different vibes you know yeah when you when you're sick of being on a, a tropical island for so long you're like ah i need a bit of snow need a bit of cold wet weather just put up like a track from wales and you'll be yeah, <laughs> you'll be okay exactly yeah and it's just fun it's just got that arcade immediacy i mean i like deep thinking games and i like arcade games so there has to be some kind of you know pick up and play game on my list well, you can take it with you, and I mean, moving from one vehicle to another. Can you see where I'm going with this, Jake? Can I can. You see, I can. Can you see? We're moving from a very practical vehicle like a Subaru Impressor to another almost as practical vehicle in a, a Tie Fighter. <laughs> Indeed. Different, different kind of roaming through the hills, but we should move on to the final game on Jake's list. So let's listen to. Some very iconic music. I think it's the first time we've ever had Star Wars music on this show. So let's listen to some music from Star Wars, from the next game. And let's, of course, dive into the final game on Jake's list. So the last game, the final game that Jake is going to be taking with him to his wonderful tropical island is a game developed by Totally Games and published by LucasArts, the now unfortunately defunct LucasArts. It was designed by Lawrence Holland and Edward Killam. It it was part of the X-Wing series back in the day. It released on the platforms like DOS, Macintosh, Windows and Linux. Released all the way back in July of 1994 is the space simulation sort of space combat video game that is... Star Wars TIE Fighter, the sequel to Star Wars X-Wing. Jake, why is this the final game that's going with you? Um, I just had so much damn fun with it. Back in the day, I used to come home from work and 
switch it on and just just play it i mean i did play the x-wing game before that and that is, was excellent okay but tie fighter was just better i don't know if it was just about being the evil empire or they had the cool ships or what but um it was just a really good game and i had some kind of dlc it wasn't called dlc then expansion pack and you know you got as you played through it you joined this sort of order of the empire and you got these sort of secret tattoos on your arm and stuff like that and i made it all the way to the end and the emperor was like well done you know in this evil way um but it's just such good fun playing as a tie fighter and i had to play it with a joystick an analog joystick that always had to be like perfectly tuned up because so it didn't drift off and stuff like this um and it's just something brilliant about you know chasing around an x-wing and shooting ahead of them and getting them and these other missions where you had to strafe along larger ships and stuff like that and you could even and there was all this strategy to it like adjusting your shields you put them in front or behind or you put power to the engines or you shifted your power around to, you know a bit like in um, star trek when they're always saying full power to the shields or weapons or whatever and yeah. then and that that was a whole new element on top of this sort of arcade stuff at the same time and then the overall strategy of completing the missions in the best time and as well so there's a whole different you know different layers um but just the pure dog fighting is brilliant fun and that was actually my favorite part of the latest star wars battlefront 2 i played way more time in the x-wing tie fighter sort of Thing than the main game and i got really good at that again it was like the old days you know except you can't use a joystick with it weirdly you have to use a mouse they've got weird ass controls but anyway yeah it's just a brilliant game um i just put it on the list <laughs> this sounds like the most sort of nostalgic choice there isn't really a reasoning as to, to the playability or the sort of creativity behind it this definitely does sound more like pure nostalgia I guess. I mean, yeah, I just it's always a game that I think of fondly when I think of the past. And I guess there's a problem with replay playability in that once it's beat, it's sort of beat and I'd have to start again. But I figured there must be some sort of missions in there that are just kind of fun that I could just sort of load up and, you know, blast out of the sky, you know, 20 X-Wings and just go. Oh, that was fun. A bit like a racing game. So it's got that same yeah. sort of arcade feel, I guess, for me. And that's why I thought I'd chuck it in. There are there were many other sort of games I could have put in the list as well that might have given me a similar feel. Uh, like I like um, Super Stardust Ultra. Have you played that one on the PS4? Yes, or, I have. Yeah. Um, and Geometry Wars Three. You know, I like shoot 'em ups. I like the old school shoot 'em ups, and I like these modern ones. So there's something about just flying around and just blasting enemies and nice little explosions. And I had to have some kind of game like that. And so. TIE Fighter fits the bill for me, really. I also played the Jedi Starfighter games. They were brilliant on PS2, I think. Yeah. And something on GameCube. There was a couple of really good Star Wars games on GameCube. The Rogue Squadron. Rogue. And oh, yeah. Wonderful games. Yeah. Are you a big Star Wars fan anyway? Um, You know, that's a funny thing. I'm not like a massive Star Wars nerd about the movies. I mean, I've watched them and I like them. They're pretty good. I'm not sure about some of the newer ones. But um, so I'm not mega into the universe but i am mega into the games the games that have been good are good all except one i once bought um the phantom menace video game without reading review and i regret because <laughs> it. it sucks <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like you really took a a, a bit of a risk uh, it was yeah it buying was out one a one licensed title as well not like uh, yeah. one of the spin-offs no so that but that's nice because you have this game. I think Star Wars is like that one of those nice comforting nerd things that everyone sort of has 
an equal fondness of in some way or shape or form. So, you know, you can just boot it up on your island and wash yourself with the, the Star Wars aesthetic, the Star Wars music and that kind of thing, and then just blast away some rebel scum. Yeah, basically. Uh, and that's why it's on there. It's good, going to be good fun. Well, you can take I- it with you. And I think, I think it's about time we get ready to send you on your way, Jake. Because that I'm, is the I'm, eighth I'm, game. I'm Go sort ahead, of please. For- I'm sort of looking forward to it, actually, now. We talked about all these cool games. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to collect them all together and actually play them in like a nice little order. Take like a summer break and pretend you're on a deserted mm-hmm. island. Yeah. That's behind the curtain, though. You're re- for, for all the listeners out there, we are really sending you to a deserted island. A wonderful tropical island somewhere in the Black Flag universe. That's deserted. I don't know. Maybe we'll send you on a nice big galleon. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. That would that would be fitting with the aesthetic alongside these eight games. But before you go, Jake, we have to ask you the last question on Final Games, which is we always talk about games on Final Games. Of course, it's in the title. But one of the important ways we experience games um, is via the way we play them, whether it's a console or a PC or a handheld or something like that. Unfortunately, though, it sounds like you're quite a a man of uh, the PC upbringing and having grown up with PCs. But unfortunately for this question, you cannot choose the PC because the PC can emulate pretty much every console ever made. So the question is, if you could take one console with you, bearing in mind the back catalog and the controller and the, the, the operating system and everything associated with that console... If you can only take one console with you, what would you take? Uh, PS4, definitely. It, you know, um, especially if there's internet, because it's got Netflix on it. That's true. No one has ever thought of that. Why has no one ever thought of that? That is the most of and YouTube as well. Well, and Amazon Prime or whatever. You know, it's got a BBC iPlayer. You know, if I'm allowed to use, watch that on the internet, because I can't send messages to anyone, and then there's a wealth of stuff I can go true. through there. Right. You know, that would be epic. And the PS4 is a very slick interface for sort of watching all that stuff. We that we use that as our media center now, which I know is what Xbox wanted everybody to do. But we do, <laughs> we, we, we do it with the PS4. And of Life course comes at you fast, these, Xbox. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's all these cool games and the possibility of the VR headset. I mean, I'm a big fan of retro consoles, too. I just think that ultimately, as things I, I, I play retro games sometimes for fun and nostalgia, but I'm going to put more hours into into modern games on a modern system. No one's ever thought of that before. You are the first guest to ever think outside the box with that. And that is, and I can't deny that. I'm going to have to allow it because that is incredibly smart of you. Well done, Jake. So you can take that with you alongside the eight games that you are taking with you. The wonderful games like Shadowhand, UFO, Enemy Unknown, Battlefield 1, Minecraft, Skyrim, Crypto Necrodancer, and of course... The final game, TIE Fighter. But before you go, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. And please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened this long where they can find you on the internet. And if there's any games or stuff they should be checking out of yours, please go ahead and tell them. All right. Thanks, Liam. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter as um, Grey Alien. So that's pretty simple. Um, If you go on Steam, there's actually a Grey Alien Games dev page now and you can find Shadowhand. Uh, Regency Solitaire, our prior game to that. Spooky Bonus, which is our most popular match three game, um, and some other ones. And we've got a new game coming out, hopefully February, March next year, um, which I'm working on at the moment. So you work fast. Yeah. So follow me up on, on uh, Twitter 
And, you know, if you're a dev, you know, I look out for my talk, the No Hit Wonder on, on YouTube. I think they've called it, it was called the No Hit Wonder, but they make, gave it this stupid long title that was like 11 years without a hit or something. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it, I think it had more, um, what they, <laughs> you know, keywords or something. I don't know. Um, SEO. Yeah, SEO, that was it. And I did another talk called uh, You Are Spending Too Long Making Your Game. And, of course, I've got a blog at graliangames.com uh, in which I talk about all sorts of stuff, including research I've done into um, how wishlists affect your launch on Steam and, and all sorts of interesting stuff. So go and have a look. Yes, definitely. If you are a dev or you're working in the indie game space, please Google Jake's name and check out stuff on Gamma Sutra, his own blog and all that kind of stuff. It's incredibly useful resources and definitely the GDC talk because it's it's all it's so incredibly positive at the same time and wonderful and i think this final games episode is a nice cap off to the end of that as well so jake thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure talking to you today thank you thank you liam it's been awesome it's been really good fun i'm glad you enjoyed it now we'll send you on your way and we've got to thank the listeners you guys for listening to this episode of final games as always you can find final games on itunes and soundcloud and stitcher and acast and all those wonderful podcasting networks if you are on itunes please rate and review the show it really does help out final games has a wonderful five star rating after about 55 reviews which is incredibly positive i don't know how that happens but thank you so much and of course you can find me on twitter at liam bme i talk about video games talk about japan talk about making games and all that kind of wonderful stuff you can find the show at final game show but until then thank you so much to you guys for listening thank you so much to jake and of course i hope to see you again next time until then goodbye <laughs>